The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good morning once again. Uh, thank you for joining us online. I want to cover a couple of things before we get started. Um, we are planning on gathering again tonight at 7.30 in the parking lot. And this will be our last parking lot service. And there's a 40% chance of rain, I think. So stay tuned to our Facebook page. And, uh, and we'll update you on if it's going to happen tonight. As of now, it's supposed to happen. And, uh, and hopefully it won't rain. The rain will hold off. So join us tonight. 7.30 parking lot in our east parking lot this evening. Also, I wanted to let you know that we are... We have found a way for Impact 2020 to still happen. And we're not going to do the normal thing that we, we usually do with we go to the neighborhoods and those kind of things. This year we decided to take the whole experience online. And so I wanted to let you know that because we are wanting, the dates are going to be July 20th to the 23rd, and we are wanting families to still go online and register their families for a morning slot or an evening slot. It'll be 10 a.m. or 7 p.m. on those days. It'll be identical Bible clubs, and you're going to watch them at your house with your kids, and you can possibly invite other neighbor kids over if you feel comfortable doing that to watch along with your family. And one of the best things about this, you need to go to the hub at our website, and register your family there, and we're going to be doing name drawings and prize drawings throughout that week, and so we need to have your kids' names in that so we can um, possibly give them prizes throughout the week. We also would encourage you to go on to that hub announcement and print off as many copies as you can of what's called a, a neighbor invitation, and you can canvas your neighborhood and invite people to watch with you online um, at their houses. Just a way for us to be missional um, in our city in spite of what's happening around us right now. So we're thankful. We're going to do some pre-recorded elements and still involve students as we make this thing happen for Impact 2020. So go to the Hub and sign up for that if that is where your kids are at with their age. Um, Go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 37. We're continuing our series in Psalms called Swells. And I cannot imagine a more fitting psalm for our current cultural moment. This is a wisdom psalm. It is similar to Psalm chapter 1 but it also sounds a lot like Proverbs. There's a lot of parallels in this passage with with the book of Proverbs. Another feature of this passage is that most psalms speak to God. Is man speaking to God? This psalm is God speaking, or is is, uh, this one is God speaking to man in Psalm chapter 37. This is a psalm of David. He most likely wrote it later in his life, and he knew suffering firsthand. As you know, he was on the run much of Um, for several years with Saul chasing after him and his men. And so David knew suffering firsthand. So one question that keeps many people from faith is this. If God is good, then why is there so much evil in the world? And some have even used this idea. If God allows evil and suffering to continue because he can't stop it, then he might be good but he's not all-powerful. But on the other hand, if God allows evil and suffering to continue, and he could stop it, but he won't stop it, then he might be all-powerful, but he's not good. And so either way, they conclude that the good and all-powerful God of the Bible cannot exist. So many people throw out Christianity because they can't make sense of, of evil and suffering in our world. But I'll just caution us here for a minute because abandoning belief 
in God does not help you understand or handle suffering. To just throw out the God of Christianity because of the dilemma of evil and suffering doesn't help solve the problem of evil and suffering. The Bible actually has a lot to say about evil and suffering, and we see a lot of that discussion in the Psalms. Today's passage deals more specifically with the question, what do we do when we see the righteous suffer and the evil prosper? So how do we handle that? So look at uh, Psalm chapter 37, verse 1. This is what God wants for the righteous right here in the present. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So there are two reactions listed here that the Christian can have towards evil. One is to fret. This does not mean that the Christian is not to be concerned or burdened by what they see around them. The Christian should be concerned and should be burdened deeply for what they see around them. Jesus was called a man of sorrows. The scriptures say when he was going back to Jerusalem on his way to be crucified, it says that when he saw the city of Jerusalem, it says that he wept. Jesus felt things deeply. The Christian should feel things deeply and be burdened and concerned for what's around them. But it says, we don't just adopt the words of Bob Marley, don't worry, be happy. That should not be our, our motto. We should feel things deeply, but, but fretting is something different. Fretting is to, is to burn with anger. Now, we know the scriptures don't, anger's not always a sin. God, the scriptures say that God is slow to anger, to be angry. For you and I, oftentimes, it is, it's like a match to gasoline. We're quick to get angry. So fretting is to, is to burn with anger. It is someone who is constantly or visibly anxious. And this person and social media are usually a bad combination. So fretting is to, is to burn with anger. So that's one reaction we can have to, to evil in our world. The other is the reaction of envy. Now, why would someone envy a wrongdoer? Well, when it looks like evil is winning, it looks like they're getting away with it, when their evil is the very reason for their prosperity, it's very tempting to envy the wrongdoer. It makes you question, what am I doing? Why am I following after God? Look at their life compared to mine. Everything they do seems to work out for them, and I just keep running into walls. I had an experience like this when I was in, when I was in college. I was... I went through long bouts of, of singleness when I was in college, and I had friends that were around me that would go from relationship to relationship to relationship, and, and they weren't really doing it the way that maybe God would want, and so I began to look at that and begin to envy their situation many times and, and start to be tempted in being pulled into some of the same directions that some of my friends are being pulled into. So maybe you're feeling that same pull. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's business transactions, whatever it is, it's very easy for us in our world to envy people that are walking away from God and to want what they have. So how do we prevent this kind of fretting and also envy? I want you to look back again at verse 2. Verse 2, the psalmist points us to what their future holds. It says, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So the psalmist is saying, 
If you're, if you're beginning to fret, if you're beginning to envy those who are doing evil, I want to remind you of their future. Here's what it looks like. They're going to soon fade like the grass. Their life is going to be fleeting. It's going to be short-lived. We have uh, some patches of grass in our backyard left. We resodded like 10 years ago, and there's not much left of it. But the patches that are left, we have some green herbs back there as well. And whenever um, it starts to look parched, I water, and it immediately begins to spring up. It begins to flourish. Its leaves uncurl. But just give it a few days in the Texas sun, and it's back to being faded again. So whenever I water the grass, the prosperity of the grass is immediate. And the same can be true for the wicked. Their prosperity often looks immediate. They defraud someone. They make a deal. And then suddenly they're walking tall or living large. And there's this immediate flourishing that we see with the evil many times. And I know the skeptic might say, but, but some people just seem prosperous their whole life. They do people wrong and they just seem prosperous their entire life. I don't ever see the grass fade with those people. I think of someone like Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy Magazine, lived to his 90s. How is their life like grass? Well, I think we have to see this in in light of eternity. Because 90 years would be like grass when you think of it in in relation to eternity. We may not see see the grass fade in this life. Remember the image that was used of the righteous in Psalm chapter 1. Chase spoke about that in the opening uh, section of this series where the righteous is referred to like what? Like a tree. So someone following Christ. So look at the contrast. Psalm 1, the righteous is referred to like a tree. In Psalm 37, the evildoer is referred to like grass. One has deep roots. One is solid. One is sturdy. One is, has shallow roots and just flails about in the wind and blows away. Psalms are, the Psalms are telling us that the person who is following after God, following after Christ, their life is of a different substance altogether, a completely different substance than someone who's walking away from God. So how does a tree respond in adversity? Well, its leaf doesn't wither. Compare that to Psalm chapter 37. Look down at verse, verses three and four. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend, faith, and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think many of us see trusting God as a passive thing. We see trusting God does not mean to take matters into our own hands and commit evil. Most of us think of trusting God as just we don't do bad stuff. But in verse 3, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Avoiding the bad is only half of the equation. It says, trust in God and do good. Trusting God leads to action, leads to doing good. Listen, trusting God is never passive. Many of us think of trusting God as just to sit passively and just to trust him. But trusting God never leads to passivity. It's not just let go and let God. We'll come back to this idea a little bit later on. Now, we need to talk about verse 4. I think most of you know 
verse 4. You're familiar with verse 4. This is the one that you probably have seen on a t-shirt or a coffee cup, and we think it means if I just delight myself in God, God's going to give me that relationship that I want. If I just delight myself in God, God's going to give me that job that I want. And that's not what this verse means. Some think it means get close to God so you can get what you really want. But that would be using God for our gain. You see, this is the heart of the prosperity gospel. It's really saying as we delight in him, Our heart begins to desire him all the more. And so it becomes this circular effect where we delight ourselves in him and we begin to desire him even more because he is what we really want. So when it says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, you delight yourself in him, the desires of your heart become him. You desire him all the more. So think of how this relates to our human relationships. My wife and I, we celebrated 17 years, which is really hard to believe, anniversary uh, this, this month, actually, June 15th. And imagine if we were at dinner celebrating our anniversary, and if I just unfurled this long list, and I was going to read to her the list of things that I love about her, but they were just things that she does for me. Like, would that be a loving thing for me to do? That'd be pretty shallow for me to do. Hopefully, we love, I love her just for who she is. And the same should be true of our relationship with God. We don't, we don't love God for just what he does. We love for, love him for who he is. The same is true in our human relationships. The same is true in our relationship with God. As we delight in him, We desire him all the more, not just what he does for us. So this is how the righteous should be responding to wicked around them in the here and now. We don't fret. We don't envy. We trust in the Lord and do good. We delight ourselves in him. And then he becomes our ultimate desire. And then now we look at what God has for the wicked, sometimes in the here and now. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. So for David, it was not simply that the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. For David, it wasn't just that The wicked are over here prospering, and the righteous are over here suffering. For David, it was very real because the wicked were actively pursuing him and trying to kill him. So he had this understanding that the wicked are pursuing after the righteous and trying to put an end to the righteous. And God says there is a day of reckoning for the wicked, for those living in rebellion against God. And sometimes we see the full force of that begin to take place even here on this earth. I think of the recent story of of Harvey Weinstein, um, a man who in the world of Hollywood was this big producer and was connected and powerful but used his position to sexually exploit people and abuse people. And now he's awaiting trial um, for those crimes. But for the wicked, sometimes... 
all their schemes come crashing down on them. Their own methods come back to haunt them, come back to bite them. Some would even say, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So God comes against the wicked, and sometimes we see that in full force in this life. But then, of course, there are some times when God's justice seems to be MIA. Maybe you begin to sense that recently. Maybe you're looking at the world right now, and you think to yourself, I don't see God's justice. I see man's justice. Maybe right now God's justice seems missing in action. Maybe you've sensed that recently. So what hope do we have when it seems like evil is winning? I want you to look down at verse 16. It says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. He's saying it's better to have little while following after God than to have much and not have him. I'm reminded of the words of Paul over in 2 Corinthians where he writes in verse, chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, where Paul says, but we have this treasure, which is the gospel, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So the treasure he's talking about is the gospel itself. And the picture here is an unimpressive clay vessel that holds this valuable treasure that is the gospel. And that's a picture of us. The prosperity gospel says your life will not look like a jar of clay, but will look more like an impressive crystal vase or some fancy container. But the Bible tells us that when you and I embrace the gospel, our life might look somewhat ordinary, maybe even chipped, a little dull. And you see, Paul understands how to live in this tension. And you and I have to learn how to live in this tension. My wife and I have taken notice. It's been kind of comical. We've taken notice of how many commercials right now start with this phrase. In these uncertain times. And it seems like everyone is starting their commercials with those words. And it's not just the pandemic and the racial tension. We've had, we've had murder hornets. Even the Sahara Desert is coming for us. But in these, in these uncertain times, Christians need to live with the same tension as Paul. We live a life that is afflicted, yes, but it's not crushed. We live a life that is perplexing and confusing, but we're not in despair. We live a life that feels beaten down, but we're not destroyed, ultimately. I think many are allowing what is happening around us to, to crush us and to destroy us. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul again shows the paradox of the Christian life. In chapter 6, verse 10, he says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making Many rich, 
Just think about that. Poor, the poor are making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything. I think Paul's life embodied this concept. Better to have little with righteousness than to have much with wickedness. So if you know Christ, you already have more than Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett combined. And if you and I value and we delight in God in this way, look what it leads to. Go back to Psalm 37. Look at verse 21. This describes the future for the righteous in verse 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Remember, we don't earn righteousness by being generous. But those who truly have faith are going to be people of generosity. Both Martin Luther and John Calvin taught this concept. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We cannot separate. I thought we were going to be out at the stadium this morning, so I prepared this statement to be under the, under the sun and outside. But um, we cannot separate heat from light with the sun. One causes the other. In the same way, true faith causes good works, but we're not saved by works. In verse 21, the wicked is self-consumed. They just take, 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 but the righteous gives. The wicked are like, they're like a funnel. They just take everything in, but the righteous are, are like a fountain. Last week, my family, we went to uh, New Braunfels for a little mini vacation to get away from, um, just get out of town for a little bit. And I've been there many times in New Braunfels, and I've floated the Comal River many times. We did not do it this time because coronavirus, but um, we've done that before. And it's, of course, that, 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 that sort of river snakes through the entire city, and that water is freezing, because it comes out of this fountain, out of the ground. I'd never seen where that river originated until this last trip, and I went right to the spot in Landa Park where that fountain is that's just gushing water 24-7 all the time from the Edwards Aquifer. And it's just, it just spreads all over, all over the city and in the parks and, and eventually goes to the, the Guadalupe. And the righteous are like that fountain, their life overflows, which might make a great name for a youth ministry. When we delight in him, we become less consumed with ourselves. We become more generous, this vessel of blessing to other people. And so look down at verse 27. It says, turn away from evil and do good, so, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints they are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. So whenever we see evil and injustice in our world, you and I can, can fret, we can burn with anger, which can then lead to our own forms of evil. So we turn away from evil, but remember, trusting God should never lead to passivity. It's easy whenever we see evil abounding just to just to tap out, saying God's going to take care of it. 
I think the temptation for many of us as believers is if we see evil happening around us, we just think, you know what, God's going to deal with this eventually. I'm just going to sit over here on the sidelines. And it's true that God will deal with evil eventually and ultimately, but you and I are called to bring his justice in the here and now. This is a justice psalm. Now, the the concept of justice has caused controversy in the church. In the past, some churches have replaced the gospel with, with works of justice, and for them it became their new gospel but that is a works-based gospel, and we should reject that. But now, some Christians go the other extreme, and they react to that by never wanting to talk about justice for fear that we're going to slip into a gospel of works, and that's a mistake in the other direction. So we've got to be really clear about the gospel. It is good news about what Jesus has done. But we also have to be clear that if we understand the gospel, then it's going to lead to works of justice. Justice, can't, justice cannot be a dirty word in the church. I mean, this verse, this passage says, the Lord loves justice. How can something that God loves be something the church doesn't want to talk about? So some have, it's true, some have hijacked justice, but instead of tapping out, we can steal it back. We can redeem it. Look with me at verse 30, 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. Most of us think of God's justice as just something that we do. But God's justice is also something that we speak. So I want to just share for a few minutes just how this passage has convicted me in light of what's happening right now in our world, especially there is so much being said right now in our culture. And it's hard enough to know what to think, let alone what to say. And at times, it can seem easier to say nothing. I mean, I can't think of a time. Yesterday, Mark Rojas and I were in the copy room here at the church. I was making some copies of this talk. And he just said, I can't imagine just a a weirder time, a crazier time in our lives. And I agree with that. I can't think of a time when so much was happening all at once. My wife sent me a meme where someone said, I always wondered what it was like to live during the Civil War, Spanish flu, Great Depression, Civil Rights Movement, Watergate, and the Dust Bowl. Just not all at once, mind you. Just one of those by itself would be enough. But I want to tell you how this passage, Psalm 37, really has convicted me, especially as it relates to the the racial tension in our country right now. There's so many Christians that want to say something. But then you wonder, what am I going to say? And if I say something, what form do I say it in? And if I say something, what if I'm misinterpreted? And if I don't say anything, what are people going to think about me? And so it becomes this paralysis by analysis. 
And I'll tell you, we've wrestled with that as a staff. The statement that Chase read a few weeks ago, we wrestled with how to word it and how to say it. Does it reflect the gospel? Does it reflect God's heart for justice in our city, in our world? We wrestled through all of that. But I need to ask myself, I want to ask, I'm speaking to myself this morning, I need to ask myself this question. Do my words speak justice? Do my words reflect his justice? Verse 31 says that the law of his God is in his heart. What is in my heart is going to come out of my mouth. This all begins in the heart. Another conviction that I've had, this passage says that the righteous are supposed to be generous people. I know many of us think of of generosity as just being money, and it is. But if the righteous are generous, am I someone who is generous with my empathy? Am I willing to feel what someone else feels? I read this statement this week. Empathy only happens when you press pause on your own preferences and opinions long enough to listen to someone else. I had a chance this week to sit with a student who's been really affected by a lot of the racial tension happening right now in our world. I need more of those kinds of face-to-face conversations and less social media. Social media does not spawn empathy in me. It brings about that fretting, burning anger talked about in verse 1. I read this week, I don't have a slide for this, but I read this blog by a guy named Matt Smethurst who said, here's four ways to not be a jerk online. And I was convicted. I want to share this with you. I'm just going to say the points really quickly. Take words seriously. What we say matters. Number two, humanize the other tribe. Number three, Give the benefit of the doubt. And then number four, encourage liberally. Be a person who encourages. Now, I know when I say empathy, some of us think, but if I do that, someone might get entitled or or they think I've adopted an entire political ideology. Listen, it, it doesn't have to mean that. The, the problem is, we live in this all-or-nothing culture right now. If you say this, or you say this one statement, then you've bought into the complete and total political ideology. That's not what it has to mean. We have to think and live with more nuance than that. We've got to live in the tension a bit more than that. Are there some flawed ideas out there? Yes. But that does not mean that we tap out of the conversation. Why would Christians hand justice over to the culture? We can do things the culture can't. We can do things that policies and politicians can't. Why is that? Because we have the gospel And speaking God's justice 
has to start with the gospel. So I want to tell you a story that happened a couple of years ago at my kid's previous school right here in Temple. My daughter was playing on the playground with one of her friends during recess time, and they're playing a game. And this other beautiful little girl walked up and said, can I play? And my daughter's friend looked at her and said, this game is only for white girls. And my daughter stood up and said, no, that is not how we treat people. Don't you remember what Martin Luther King said? And she went off to play with the other girl that had approached him. And listen, I don't tell that story to prop anybody up, but I think it needs to be told. Because my daughter, I'm driving her home from school that day, and she's telling me this story. And I've got... I've got tears streaming, can't see to drive, and I'm proud of her, but then I get home, and I was just overcome with anger at how somebody could be treated that way. But then I just, then I just started weeping for that little girl, and I couldn't get the thought of her, what her face must have looked like out of my head. And I was so glad there was someone that was there to speak justice in that moment. But at the same time, wondered how often has no one been there? How often has no one been there to speak words of justice into those moments? This is speaking justice. I also felt convicted at all the times that I haven't spoken words of justice and haven't used my words to bring about his justice. You see, there there are so many words being thrown around right now back and forth in our world. And we've all gotten caught up in it. And it's like a modern day gladiator arena. And Christians are going at each other. And listen, Rome still loves to watch. Are our words grounded in the gospel? And do they speak his justice? In the coming weeks and months, We're going to need the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 more than ever. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, where Paul's writing to the Ephesians people, the church there. And Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of justice. We thank you that you are a God. You bring about your justice, namely through the cross, making us right with you, making it possible for us to become right with others. And God, we lift up um, our people. We lift up the church. We pray that you'd help us to be people who use our words to bring about justice, to bring about your fame, and to make your name known in our city and beyond. We just thank you and praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen.